Welcome back, everyone, to the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. As always, I'm Michael Freeman. And I'm Alex Rose. And thank you for coming back after the holidays, after our long break. Happy New Year. Happy belated Hanukkah. Happy belated Christmas. Uh, we have one big thing to talk about and one smaller thing. The big one we're going to be talking about today, it's actually, this, this passed somewhat quietly. It was the 60-year anniversary of the Canadian Jewish News. So we're going to take a little flip back, literally a flip back, through the archives, which happens to be our recording studio. We record in the archive room. Uh, and we're going to share with you what's changed and what hasn't changed in the Canadian Jewish world in the last 60 years. And then, Alex, what are we going to be worrying about today? Well, uh, for those of you who are listening for the first time, we always end our episodes with a segment called, Do the Jews Really Need to Worry About This? Um, and some of you may have seen recently that a website called StopAntisemitism.org just voted Alan Omar as the anti-Semite of the year. So we're going to be asking, do Jews really need to worry about Alan Omar more than any other anti-Semite in the world? So to start things off, we are going to be flipping through the pages of history. It's a weird thing because we do record in this boardroom. There are, I would say, a hundred books, Alex, of of. Canadian Jewish News, 1991, 1990, 2009, the whole thing. All the way back to 1960. All the way back to the first issue, 1960, which is sitting before me right now. Um, and we we record literally on them. Yeah, we, we use them to boost our mics. <laughs> they, are, they are microphone stands because our microphone stands are too short. We record on the pages of history. I have never opened them up. Me neither. For shame on us. So we're going to rectify that today. The, the thing that leaps out at me the most when I'm going through these pages sort of overall theme is how little has changed. And can we just take a moment to acknowledge the little note at the bottom of the first page about oh, how to, sure. due to technical issues, uh, almost none of the ads could be in the inaugural paper. The <laughs> I exact just love <laughs> that that's how the paper yeah, got started. Out. There's a small square at the bottom and it says, this is the first issue of the Canadian Jewish News. By the way, I'm going to read every single news article. <laughs> in like the transatlantic. The transatlantic news. old news. <laughs> this is the first issue of the Canadian Jewish News. Because of technical reasons, we were forced to omit from this issue many advertisements and journalistic contributions, including some planned permanent features. We shall publish all ads and also the editorial material in the next issue of our newspaper. We wish you all a happy and prosperous new year. The Canadian Jewish News. What an auspicious start. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You'll um, have to see it. But the uh, uh, a few issues later, um, they, the, this is an article that just caught my eye because this is like, I just feel like this could still be written today. The headline is, Recent Swastika Craze in Toronto Abating. Only minor incidents. The Canadian Jewish News is happy to report only minor anti-Semitic incidents were noted in Toronto this week after several days of hooligan activity and swastika smearing of synagogues. I feel like this... We joke about how it's an evergreen story, like swastika spray-painted on playground, on on school, on fill-in-the-blank. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, it's been going on for 60 years. <laughs> and it was worse 60 years ago. I mean, we're talking about how bad it is now, and it's worse than any time we've been used to sure but you know that was only 15 years after the holocaust and it seems like it was a regular everyday occurrence absolutely um there are a lot of other things that that recur um another one that that seems to be in the pages every single week is about the uh, arab league boycott of israel yep which for those who are unaware bds has its origins in a very overtly anti-semitic boycott 
Um, no division between anti-Zionist, anti-Semitic. It, it, it was plainly both. Uh, spearheaded by Nasser, the president of Egypt. Um, well, at the time when the CJN came out, he was spearheading it. Um, what's interesting is that, you know, doing a bit of research, similar boycotts extended back to what I found as early as 1922, you know, before the state of Israel existed, just to uh, stop any Jewish presence in, in what was called mandatory Palestine at the time. And apparently it's, it's not, this isn't the first time that the United States Congress or Senate or other governments have talked about banning or criminalizing the boycotts. In the 70s, for example, Jimmy Carter signed a bill into law about fining companies that boycotted Israel, including McDonald's, which did not open up a, uh, a McDonald's franchise in Israel until 1993 because it wanted to operate in these Arab countries. Burger King is better anyway. I'm just going to say it. Um, but on that note, since we're talking about international news, which is something the CJN covered a lot, it actually pointed to something that I found very different. Um, we have been talking about how much of the paper feels so similar, right? Covering BDS stuff, covering uh, uh, Arab governments opposing Israel. And of course, swastikas. Jews doing things and raising money. <laughs> that's that's a big part of the 1960 edition as much as it is now. It is a big part. And that noteworthy. is never front page news. Um, it's, it's noteworthy. All the front pages, uh, by and large, are international news i think that points to how different it was obviously it goes without saying it was pre-internet obviously it was virtually pre-television too in an issue from 1961 specifically the march 24th edition a columnist named carl alpert wrote a piece debating the merits of bringing television into israel which was a debate that was happening in 1961 can you just read the opening paragraph from that story tv or not tv that is the question which will shortly confront Israel in all its seriousness and with all its complexities. The problem is intensified by the reality of television beyond our borders. The residential area of Mount Carmel is already marked by hundreds of television antennas, which with comparative ease clearly bring in programs from Lebanon, Syria, Cyprus, and sometimes beyond. Israelis used to joke about immigrants who brought TV sets with them. It is no longer a joke. The debate, apparently, uh, was whether or not to allow television programming in Israel or to create a television broadcasting network. Apparently, David Ben-Gurion, prime minister of Israel, was opposed to this. I found that fascinating. I wonder if he thought television would rot the brain of children, as I assume people said back then, as old people say about every new technology. or, I mean, just the idea that they joked about people bringing the physical sets in. <laughs> I don't know. It's just I didn't realize it was such a controversy back then. But it speaks to the fact that in this pre-TV, pre-internet era, um, people relied on the Canadian Jewish News as a source of international news. They, it seems like it covers it in a totally different light than the Globe. I don't know if the Globe and Mail also covered some of this news, or maybe it just didn't. Maybe it just didn't cover all the actions of the Arab League states and and uh, you know the the tensions between Israel and Egypt and stuff like that. I feel like in the last. 10 to 20 years that must have shifted considerably and what seemed like maybe less important then which was the local news a local synagogue raises x amount of money local hadassah group meets like that kind of stuff is also the only thing that really makes us distinct today is reporting on our community because everybody's reporting on israel yeah yeah all that other stuff you have access to i mean for people who don't read the physical copy of our paper our international section usually starts around page 20 22 
and you know it's all the local and national stories before because that's the point of the canadian jewish news right it's like you're saying you can get all the international stuff from all these other outlets so that's that would be really interesting to look at the shift and see you know when the international news started to recede in the paper and local and national level news started to move closer to the front but for all that uh there was still many of uh i guess what you'd call the heartwarming community stories that you would never find printed anywhere else why don't we now flip the pages over to uh, an issue from february 5th 1960 i don't know if that's going to sound any good (laughs) there's a small little story here i'm going to read called brooklyn rabbi helps canadian it is about a man from montreal who broke into the house of a rabbi in New York, and the rabbi insisted the man, quote, be permitted to rehabilitate himself. Oh my God, it's like the the uh, bishop from Les Mis. <laughs> yes. It's it exactly is. like that. <laughs> it is exactly like that. On the plea of a Brooklyn rabbi, a 28-year-old defendant won a dismissal of a burglary indictment in Kings County Court. That's kind of my favorite stories, some of my favorite that we get to write here. It's just like this weird little... Uh, meetup or reunion or just clash of cultures or in ways that affect the Canadian Jewish population that you would never see coming or think of. Sure. This was not a clash of cultures. I believe the defendant was Jewish. Says Assistant District Attorney Lawrence Wiseman said a Jewish social service agency had promised to aid the defendant until immigration authorities decided whether to return him to Montreal. Interesting. Judge Barchet started a collection and court attendants and spectators contributed an undisclosed amount to help him. Huh. So what, he was breaking in to try to steal? Is that what was going on? Or do we know? There just aren't enough details. The The man in this story, it's public record. I'm just going to say his name. Jeannot Leitner of Montreal. He was the one, uh, the, the defendant in this story. So if any of our Montreal listeners know a Jeannot Leitner, if maybe that was your grandfather, he was... Uh, He'd be 88 right now <laughs> if he's still alive. So he could very well be someone's 80. Um we would love to speak with him. Let us know. Yeah, that would be an amazing story to follow up on. Um, and so we're we're probably not going to go through these archives too much more in the future on this podcast. We just wanted to give a little sense of it because the paper didn't really do that much. I think we had a little blurb in, in the newspaper. I know our newsletter did something with it if you subscribe to the CJN Today. Yeah. And if people are interested, um, we could check in on archives for you know some big events. If Reach out to us if that's something you want to hear. It won't be something we devote our podcast episodes to again, but maybe if there's one or two things people want to learn about. For example, in 1961, we were going through the archives, um, and it was during the Eichmann trial, and the CJN sent a reporter there. (laughs) So that's something that's very different from today. I don't think we have a budget for that. (laughs) We certainly don't. She filed her stories by cable. It's fun to look at this and think about how quaint it is, and then in 60 years, how people will look at our newspapers quaint in No, people will listen to this podcast, (laughs) and they'll be imitating my voice in their future voices. (laughs) That's true. I'm going to put on my best 2020 Canadian accent for this one. (laughs) Maybe they'll go back to transatlantic in 60 years. (laughs) I hope so. It was the end of the year. We had all the year-end lists. We had the best ofs. We had the worst ofs, and this little upstart anti-Jewish incitement uh, uh, little website called StopAntiSemitism.org came out with their own little year-end poll, and they asked their readers, I don't know how many readers they have, they have a few thousand followers on social media, 
They asked him, who was the biggest anti-Semite of the year? They could have chosen from numerous people, including... Murderers of Jews. Literal murderers. Uh, a man who broke into a rabbi's home and stabbed people. They voted Ilan Omar, number one anti-Semite of the year. Runners-up included Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam and Richard Spencer, famous Nazi to be punched in the face. Alex, how do you feel about these these three? How do you feel about the number one? I don't really buy it. Uh, we were talking about this before. A lot of it's probably just like... Uh, you know, name recognition that the three people who were chosen are very well known for their uh, views. And and to that point, they had this this cheeky video of a congratulations, Ilan Omar thing spreading around social media. It got a few thousand views. Uh, there's confetti falling. It says, congratulations, Ilan Omar, et cetera, et cetera. And it lists the reasons for her being voted anti-Semite of the year. Very few of them are from this year. Most are tweets from 2012, 2017. The same tweets you, dear listener, have probably heard from people who don't like her and who haven't liked her for several years. Mm -hmm. This is not particularly new. I don't. I mean, this poll, this poll doesn't really mean anything. It's just a bunch of people ganging up and and just loving the the feeling of hating someone so purely. It did come to light this year because she assumed her role in Congress. And she, some of the comments were from this year. But yeah, in general, it's mostly old information about her. And, you know, same with Richard Spencer and probably Louis Farrakhan, too. I, I, I don't know everything they've been up to this year. Louis Farrakhan is definitely not new. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just interesting. And Richard Spencer came to light several years ago. So, I, I mean, what can you do? I, I think let's let's not dive too much into this poll because mm -hmm. the opinion of the masses is just like, you know, who was the of the masses who follow this website? It's like if somebody said who was the best actor of 2019 and everybody said Meryl Streep. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably just the best actor. Uh, I like Meryl Streep. Of the last decade. Did or you see years. Kramer versus Kramer? Especially because it's the first time they've done the award. So it's probably just like who's the anti-Semite most salient in your mind. Yeah, we don't need to go too deeply into this. We did want to comment on a few things. One is I think it's noteworthy to think about why people hate Ilan Omar so much, why she's such an easy target for people in these circles, one of which is no doubt, I think, her her confidence and her smugness. She does have a smug attitude. She does have, she has a, I mean, it, it's not just her skin color and the fact that she wears. But it's also that. A hijab. It is that It's as also well. that. No, no, it, it is. But I mean, there are many women who fit that description and outspoken women at that. But not all of them. I mean, I guess in order to be a spokesperson and, and a politician, you need a certain amount of confidence. But that confidence just makes people hate the more because it, it's almost like it shows a lack of humility or something i think I, I think maybe that's what they're seeing in there i mean yeah and there, there are lots of politicians who have that kind of bravado and, and people hate politicians yeah but people uh, hate people who are confident who they believe are wrong yes i mean i i don't know so much about her so i can't really speak to this specifically but just in general um the politicians that a base loves the most are probably going to be the politician that the opposite base hates the most for those reasons that is certainly true of trump we can also find proof of that in this website's ongoing series uh which they dub anti-semite of the week this is all very clickbaity it's very clever you know if you think if you see anti-semite of the year anti-semite of the week you you think it's relevant to that week you think it's relevant to that year you think there's this is like a, a real watchdog organization that's onto something I don't know to what extent they're really doing anything that B'nai B'rit isn't doing, that other organizations mm -hmm. aren't doing. I mean, it's probably not like the same advocacy 
attached the way Neighborith has it. Yeah, I mean, they call themselves an NGO, I believe. I don't know to what extent that they're mm-hmm. actually registered, but but who knows? Maybe maybe they are. They do identify figures on the right, but in this anti-Semite of the week segment that they do, which dated back to June of 2019, right? So we don't know how long this thing's this website's been around, but at least they've been doing this less than a full year. They did 26 of them total since June. 12 of the 26 were people with clearly Muslim or Arab names. That's nearly half. Uh, Another 10 of them were people on the left who were not clearly Muslim. So people like... And a lot of them were Jews. Some, yeah. Some of them were Jews. Some, you know, AOC. I think Al Sharpton was one of them, he said. Um, So it's like 38% of the list. And then four of the people on this uh, anti-Semite of the week were members of the of the far right. Four out of 26. And that included Richard Spencer. That included some Nazi YouTuber. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Anglin, the Daily Stormer guy. Like some, some relatively big names. So, you know, they give the credit where it's due to the literal Nazis. Overwhelmingly, disproportionately skewing against the left, though. So I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say this is blatant islamophobia uh, they don't seem to indulge in this kind of um race baiting like showing not videos like, not like some of the websites you've not covered. like some other websites that we've covered like uh, there's a facebook group called never again canada that i wrote about last year um, which has numerous administrators and they all just post several videos some of them are literal fake news like like distorted or just incorrect events depicting muslims or or just brown-skinned people rioting like they're rioting for a soccer match and then they say look at what these refugees are doing or something like just distorted stuff like that mm-hmm. um this stop website does not appear to be that but we, sorry but I just it's wanted, not that much better yeah well we were talking about this none of the people who actually murdered jews were on the list at all well that's a good point <laughs> i mean i think it's just kind of a fundamental like i don't know blind spot miscalculate and it's not even like they were all um, alt-right people, the last few have seemed to be black Hebrew Israelites uh, in the New Jersey and, and Muncie, New York attacks. And I don't know, I just think if we're getting so worked up about some of the rhetoric and the discourse in Alan Omar, it's like, what's the biggest threat to Jewish people? As much as you might not like BDS, as much as you might not like, I don't know, Trump saying that uh, Zionism is a type of nationalism and not and we're like a nation and not just a culture, Jewish people, especially Orthodox Jewish people, visible minorities are being targeted because of the way they look. And I feel like so much of that is getting lost in the people wanting to snipe and, and gain points, like political points. I mean, I have my political viewpoints, sure, and there are things that I think about the way different sides handle Jewish issues, but I'm not a visible minority. I work in a Jewish organization. I attend synagogue. Okay, you just gave me a look. Okay, I can walk down the street without someone knowing immediately that I'm a Jew. <laughs> Maybe some people. Yeah, okay. Maybe blind people. Okay, I, I'm pretty Jewish looking. I don't have a black hat. I don't have payas. I don't have a beard. Th- those are the people who are at risk every day. And so much of the discourse, I think, is just forgetting the people uh, who are really facing the brunt of this. I know that the synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, which was the worst of this, did not target an Orthodox community. And I'm not saying we as other Jews don't have reason to be worried. And I know a lot of it is wanting to so- show solidarity for Orthodox people. But I mean, I think a lot of Orthodox people, for example, communities did not attend the recent march on anti-Semitism against anti-Semitism in New York. There was a leader from one of the communities in Brooklyn who said like, it's not respectful for us. They don't 
respect us. I'm butchering the quote a little bit, but like if if the people who are most at risk don't feel like our attempted advocacy is advocating for them in a way that they want it to be, I don't know. I feel like it's to make the people marching feel good, but it might not be helping the people who are most at risk as much as it could. I was listening to the most recent um, episode of Tablet Magazine's podcast, Unorthodox. Um, and they had a discussion about this wherein they're, they're, they came to a similar conclusion that the people often targeted are the most visible ones and it doesn't really affect most of us who, who don't overtly look Jewish or, or you know, showcase our, our, our Judaism. They concluded that they wanted to in some way start looking more Jewish or to start you know, promoting looking more Jewish. One of them said he was going to wear a kippah more often even though he's not religious, for example, or, or you know, doing whatever it is. Um, I don't know if there is anything in there that, that Jews can do. I mean, I have a sweater that says happy Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. Like I brought it on my most recent vacation and I wore it more often than usual to that point. But, but I don't know, you know, how do you express solidarity in a day to day way instead of just marching one time, which is maybe what you're asking. Yeah. It's not even that, like, I think the march is good, but I think if a lot of the people who are the most affected feel like it excludes them or they're not, there's something they don't like about it, then that's something we have to. Uh, consider. I'll say this though, because I was thinking about this a lot recently. I might hold more stereotypes about Orthodox Jewish people than perhaps any other cultural or ethnic group, because I grew up in a Jewish day school. Um, we never really had any interactions with any Orthodox Jewish people, and I don't know how much is like our community, how much of that is their community. But I think um, we should be doing more to integrate the communities, not like at a high level because i don't think anybody really wants that just because like they have their way of doing things we have ours and you know you you got to respect that but we should you know spend more time with them get to know them better do events and i know it sounds like i would love a token orthodox jewish friend if anyone's listening shoot me an email well i, I do think like a token event like that would actually be meaningful to say like you know we're not just uh out there in the streets without you but we it means something to us to get to know you not just like use you as as pawns in our political arguments or uh, as a way of making ourselves feel like we're fighting against anti-Semitism, but to say like, you know, we we do consider ourselves family in some broad sense, and that means something to us, and not just when times are tough, but just because we, I don't know, it, it's been bothering me a lot recently. But like, well, I was covering an event on Sunday called Suyum Hashas, which is the end of the seven and a half year Talmudic cycle of study, um, and you know, it was mostly Orthodox observant Jewish people there. And I, I just felt a little bit out of place. Like these are supposed to be my people and they didn't necessarily feel like they were my people and I didn't feel like I was their person. And that was weird to me because it, is it important that we're all Jewish? Because in theory it is, but then why in 25 years of living a Jewish life in Toronto and six of those years in Halifax have, I almost never, you know, interacted with people. I went to Chabad dinners at, in Halifax. That was fun, but I don't know. It's something that I, I want. It's something that feels like it, it it would be important. Okay, so we've gone way off topic. Yeah. <laughs> um, do Jews need to worry about Ilan Omar more than other Jews? But I feel like we did answer it fairly swiftly off the bat. The answer is yeah. no, right? We uh, Ilan Omar is not the biggest anti-Semite of the year. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to st stop antisemitism.org. Uh, your voter base is wrong. <laughs> you, you are wrong. Uh, and I think there's ample evidence to suggest that um but to your point alex yes there is it, I, I i guess the 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 addendum to that is that not only is she not the biggest anti-semite of the year but there are 
serious threats. We've seen them, especially in just the last few months, not to mention the last, I mean, going back farther, Pittsburgh and uh, Poe, uh, California. It's not these, ex- these quote-unquote, radical Muslim leftists who are causing literal yeah, death. Yeah, BDS didn't shoot 11 people in a synagogue. They definitely did not. There are serious crimes. There are, seri- there, there are serious anti-Semites, lethal anti-Semites in the world. And uh, to Alex's point, we should be paying attention to what matters and supporting each other in ways that matter and not being distracted by petty politics based on skin color. Thus concludes another episode of the Canadian Jewish Schmooze. My name is Michael Freeman. And I am Alex Rose. <laughs> our producer this week was Michael Freeman. Our editor this week was Michael Freeman. Our intro music was by Vanya Zhuk. Our outro music is by Lache Swing. David Collin is our New Year's baby. If you appreciate hearing our voices every two weeks in your ears, we encourage you, dear listener, to subscribe to the Canadian Jewish Schmooze wherever you get your audio episodes. What the hell is an audio episode? A podular cast. Tune in next time for another episode of the Canadian Jewish Schmooze.